This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by Kopma Cranes, the most competitive knuckle boom crane for the tree care industry. Unleash your full potential with Kopma for tree care. Kopma Cranes are built for heavy duty applications with the best hydraulic technology to maximize your reach and lifting capacity like never before. Kotma's tech team, together with the unique know-how of tree care professionals, has developed the ultimate top-range cranes models for grapple saw applications. Extra functions to the tip with no diverter valves are making it ready for the grapple saw. Kotma represents the edge of mechatronic innovation thanks to superior oil flow with 5 8 inch hoses directly to the grapple. A true 100% stability at 360 degrees angle with the possibility of Kotma Remote Connectivity 4.0, a unique GPRS communication for diagnosis and remote adjustment of parameters in real time. Kotma cranes have been built since the 60s with the highest grades of steel resistance and the most reliable and advanced Italian design and engineering made to outperform an intensive use in the field. Visit cpsgroup.com for more information or contact your local Kotma dealer. Uh, Bob Longo here today. I'm the member engagement coordinator for the South Region with the Tree Care Industry Association. Uh, joining us today is Megan Banowski, uh, a close friend of mine that I've known for a long time, who uh, has a, awesome, simply put, has an awesome background in the industry uh, and some, some great touch points to share with us today. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Banowski. Um, I've been working in the industry and climbing trees with chainsaws since I was about 14 years old, um, which unfortunately puts me about 20 years of experience <laughs> roughly on and off now. Um, I am passionate about training and everything uh, industry related as it pertains to safety and influencing people and working with people. Just to just to get right into it. So you started at 14, but how did you get your start in the industry? Because that's uh, like younger than some of the people that we've recently talked to. Yeah. So it was, as I tell everyone, uh, when I started going to high school, so my freshman year in Hudson, New Hampshire, I was really fortunate to grow up in a town that had a wonderful vocational high school. So they had like these programs that were not just programs, but almost fully functioning businesses, such as a retail florist, a horticulture program that had a working functioning um, greenhouse and they did things such as weddings they had a vet tech program that had their own kennel that was a functional business that brought in revenue um, they had a fully functioning farm where they did harvesting and planting and cows etc um, but one of the programs was forestry where they had about a hundred acre woodlot and uh, they did everything in two-year programs rotations from uh, forest technology general forestry management, um, logging operations, boriculture, climbing, competitions, FFA, uh, woodsman, uh, woodsman competitions, milling, right? So anything that could fall under the umbrella of forestry, they had it, like they had skitters, mills, etc. And when I kind of moseyed my way, awkward and weird as a freshman into high school, not knowing anything about anything and feeling wildly insecure about everything, I sat down in my guidance counselor's office and they were like, listen, you know, you can look at your trajectory forward as a student and what your career wants to be, which, you know, obviously every 13 year old knows what they want to do <laughs> at 13 years old. And we can do things such as chemistry and physics and biology and all these, all this stuff, or wait for it. You can play in the woods with a chainsaw for half the day. And I was like, well, math is hard. <laughs> so give me the chainsaw. 
Um, and it just so happens that I ha had a wonderful professor uh, that has now become a father of mine. Um, if I ever get married, he's gonna walk me down the aisle. That was a major influence in me falling in love and becoming passionate about forestry. And it just so happens I kind of had a knack for it too. And I absolutely fell in love um, with being outside, working with my hands, uh, the different nuances and every day was a different puzzle and, and just different. Um, and I think that's what I loved most about it. And from there I was hooked. So when the opportunity for me graduating came into play, it was a no brainer for me to go to school for in college for forestry. When'd you meet this guy? <laughs> yeah. So, so Bob, I, I like to say that there was uh, in every, there was two um, programs, right? So you had two, uh, forestry became really popular, um, mainly because people like me and Bob were on the team, right? So everyone's like, oh, let's go do forestry. Um, <laughs> And, but I like to say within my class, we had our, we had four teams and each team com was compromised of about four people. Um, we called them crews. And um, me and Bob were on what I like to call the misfit crew, where we were the underdogs, the dark horses, and just like pulled from different aspects and walks of life. And uh, we got put together and really embraced one another in our awkward teenage years and, and grew to become a family. And then ended up competing with each other on the both state, regional, and national FFA team for forestry. And um, we've been friends ever since. Absolutely. Now, it was one of the most unique experiences uh, that, I, that I think I've had in my life because it's one of the experiences that you share with people and across the country, people are just blown away by some of the opportunities that we had, you know, from transitioning, you know, year to year in the program where one year, like you said, we're doing forest management and we're doing logging operations to the next year where, you know, we're diving deeper into forest management where we're spending half of the year on our boar culture. Um, you know, we're, we're competing, uh, you know, with the FFA, which is one of the largest youth organizations in the country opportunities that we had there. Um, the struggles competing at the national level in, um, <laughs> I don't remember the name of the park that they had there in Indianapolis, but uh, having to pace out directly across a ravine. Um, wow. <laughs> the ravine of death. Oh my goodness. The ravine of death. So I still have my hard hat from the national competition. Like, are you, you guys want to hear a story? Yeah. Oh, yeah right. for, for starters, <laughs> we could say it rained like four inches the night before yeah. we had to go out into the field for this event. There, there, and it was still was raining while we were there. There was a monsoon that took place during our FFA national competition, of course, and the only hilly place in, in Indiana, like the only hill that they could find was where they decided to have our compass and pace um, segment of the competition. And it was just like clay, mud, and we're trying to pace out down this ravine and then up the ravine with some sort of accuracy, which yeah. completely no accuracy whatsoever because we were sliding as if it was a, like a slip and slide down yeah. the hill and we were covered at the end of the competition with head to toe mud and I still have my national helmet with my tag my um it was a qualification number on it mm -hmm. uh, and it's covered in the caked mud and I, I never I never got rid of it it still it hangs up on my wall so that's memory unlocked right there i still have i still have uh some mud on the uh the old carhartt jackets that we got for that yes. too. so it's uh that's awesome definitely an experience <laughs> um but it's it's one that you know we share with such a small group of individuals um mm -hmm. and, and that's why i think we're gaining ground as an industry towards uh 
um, getting more people to view uh, organizations like the FFA and vocational schools in general uh, as a recruiting platform and, and, uh, and a candidate pool. But that's not why we're here today. We can save that. <laughs> it was definitely a unique experience. And when I talk about people, how I get into the industry, I feel like it always catches them by surprise because um, it's not the traditional story, if you will. And it was also very diverse where we were as well. I think you already said it, you know, our program, we saw folks from all different walks of life. We had um, folks from all over the county coming to, to our school in Hudson, New Hampshire, just to be a part of the program. Uh, yep. You know, mainly because, like you said, half of the day you get to play outside with chainsaws. Uh, math yeah. is hard, man. Math, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that, yeah, but then we started doing math <laughs> in forestry too. Shh, don't tell them. So. <laughs> Our and climbing is all physics. They don't need to know that. It's a secret. <laughs> how many how many days climbing over log piles and and putting board feet measurements on the end? <laughs> we can start talking about bisecting angles and rigging and things like that if you'd like. <laughs> no, no, I, th- I, th- I think we can uh, dive deeper into uh, your passions because that's why that's why we're here today. Um, so, and, and, and we'll kind of, we'll kind of leave that track that we were just on for uh, yep. a follow-up episode to get you back. I'm in. You can, going off of your stories and what you've said so far, uh, Bob was telling me that you're very involved with the woman in tree care movement. When exactly did you start to get involved with something like that? I think that the passion was instilled in me at a very young age. Um, I was just passionate about women kind of breaking the traditional mold ever since I can remember my like I some of my earliest memories of my mom trying to stick me in a dress and like me tearing it off and running down the road naked to go play with the boys because it's like I don't want to wear a dress right um the boys don't wear dresses they don't have to wear shirts I don't care um you know my father very much encouraged me to do whatever it is that made me happy and it just so happens that what made me happy was being out in the woods riding on three-wheelers being under a car with him dragging brush whatever it was right and I, I think that Rick Martineau who was our forestry professor in in high school was a huge component of that as well um when he saw me um, in intro classes of like pet care and things like that. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm the forestry professor professor, and you're going to be my first girl in forestry. And um, I think there was one key moment for me where I really started to look at things from a different lens, not just for my own passion of breaking the mold and, and, you know, embodying who I truly am as, as a woman and, um, and what that means to me. But I remember starting to compete at the FFA state level with Bob. And I ended up winning, our, our team as a whole won first place that qualified us to go to regionals and nationals, but I also won first individually. And at that time I had the highest score ever recorded as well as I was the first woman to ever win that particular event or, or, or I shouldn't say event, but competition. And then I went on to do the same thing at regionals where I had the highest score in history and I was the first woman to win regionals individually. And I remember Morgan, which was another woman from a different school coming up to me and saying something along the lines of you won and I'm like the only female in my course, in my course, in my class within forestry. And it's really an inspiration to see a woman represented at such a level. And it really made me in that time take a step back and, and, and instead of just focusing just on me and, and my accolades and, and things of that nature, but to look at it as a whole, 
of, wow, this, this could really be a thing. And this is bigger than just me. And there needs to be more representatives. There needs to be more visibility. There needs to be more support. Um, and that's when it really started for me. I, th- I think it's also worth mentioning, um, not only that when we went to the national level, you got 10th in the nation out of 130 mm-hmm. competitors. Um, but if I recall correctly, five or six out of the top 10 uh, were also women as well. For me, that was a moment not where I realized necessarily the capabilities of uh, women in, in either industry logging or arboriculture culture or any of that. I obviously already knew you very well. Um, you and Danielle and uh, I think Monique was in the program then as well. And I can't pull any more names out of my hat right now. Um, but it was more so the fact that it, it was just more widespread than, than I had realized. Um, and I think that, that that was a really awesome experience for me. Um, because then that I, I carried that, you know, on onward in my career, even after I, you know, I did tree care after high school. Uh, and then I went into the military, uh, during the recession and, you know, at, at that point, being military police uh, and from day one in the army, I, you know, I, I was side by side with females in uniform who all met the same expectations that I did. Yeah, so. it's, I think it, it's, again, as we said earlier, a very unique experience where we were introduced to, to that kind of mentality very early on when the rest of the industry wasn't necessarily at that speed, right? So it's for me and for you with, with Rick and, and the advisors we had and, and the pool of uh, the industry that we were exposed to, it was very much um, encouraged and it was a welcoming place. It was a safe place. It was all, all the things. And so when I went into the, started into college and the workforce and things like that, I had a very unique experience of being supported right off the bat with good information, good training, um, and, and just support for women in the industry where I didn't bat an eye on it. Right. It was, it was just like, yeah, I'm a woman in the industry and I'm going to be treated the same. And um, I don't think that I don't feel like that was the norm for many people uh, if, if, at that time in the early 2000s. If a woman were to just get into the industry mm-hmm. right off the rip and try to get a job as a groundie, if you will, um, or climbing, I don't I, I feel like the, the experience more than likely would have been much different. Right. Um, so I'm very I'm always very thankful for that experience because it, it introduced me in a way that was very that uh, was, was a really good environment, a really safe environment. And it, uh, I was embraced as an equal right off the bat. And I think that transitions into the next thing we want to talk about, which was about how culture kind of affects the, the whole woman in tree care movement. Um, one thing Bob and I talked about is how culture affects just the general language you use, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a regional culture, depends on the slang that you use, y'all versus you guys, um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But additionally, the stuff that you both have brought up is the fact that the culture of your training programs, the culture of your education, of your school on a local level, and even of a small team that you're working with, that culture really can affect uh, how you perceive yourself and others in the industry around you. From what it sounds like, it sounds like that you both were in an unusual culture 20 years ago that hopefully Mm -hmm. is a little more normalized. Let's call call it 18 years ago. 18 years ago. (laughs) Let's, um, let's not jump straight to, to throwing zeros on the end. I'm sorry. 
but but really what is the culture in your eyes for both of you look like now you're both on two vastly different sides of the culture um starting off at the same experience but two different geographical locations i mean different genders how is the culture in your eyes uh, is it similar to what you experienced 20 years ago has it changed for the better for the worse what are just your your thoughts i think that growth is slow that you're always going to have the um the people, especially the, the boomer generation, if you will, that has the internalized misogyny, right? Not even that they don't support women in the industry, but they were just brought up in such a way that um, stereotypical gender roles were in, in effect and, and things of that nature. Um, and and I don't, 99.9% .9 of my interactions with, with men um, are positive, right? They're, they're men that want to be inclusive, that want to be allies, but don't know what they don't know. Um, and just want to work with women in, or, in order to kind of bridge that gap of understanding. And I think that as change is coming slow, but for, but is absolutely occurring um, in a positive way. Is there always going to be the outliers? Absolutely. Um, I try not to breathe life into those experiences as much as possible, um, unless, of course, like they're you know, of, of legality issues and, and things like that, not to minimize anything like that. But um, I, I really try to focus. I live my life by spending 80% of my, of my time, uh, time with the top 20% of the performers. So the people that are excited about me being there as a trainer, the people that want to learn, that are engaged, et cetera. Um, and in my opinion, by spending 80% of your time with the top 20% of the people that are going to be your early adopters in the movement, right? They're the people that are already excited. They're already on board. They're drinking the Kool-Aid, if you will. Um, and by doing that, you're influencing these people, which are then gonna go out and ripple and influence so many other people. And that's how we start to really drive change. That's how we really start to, to create a movement and, uh, and to, to really start seeing things taking big steps forwards instead of focusing on that really small percentage of negative experiences and trying to change those people. How much change are you really influencing by spending your time and energy? Because those are the only two things in this world that we can't get back is time and energy. How much are we really affecting change by focusing on that really small percentage versus spending our time, energy on the people that want to be there, that want to make change. Um, and that's kind of how I view the the movement if you will and work i'm kind of spending my time and energy and, and focus because um, i think that's what's driving the change forward anything yeah I, I i think what i could say you know with mentioning that i i have in my career taken nine years away from tree care before coming back in 2019 uh and joining tcia um, I, I will say that since I, so I entered the military in 2009, the culture has changed a lot. Uh, even, even just in our little corner of, of New Hampshire, it has changed a lot. Professionalism in the industry has come a long way. Um, but the industry's recognition uh, of women in tree care as a community and a concept uh, it, it, it honestly was and still is significantly behind where I would have expected it to be. And that, that of course, is based on my experience with you, um, you know, all, all, all the many years ago. But like, like you said, there's so many people who don't know what they don't know. Um, and I, I think that that's one of the encouraging factors is we, we have so many that are interested in learning. Um, to, to close that gap. 
you know, we saw that at Expo with the uh, Women in Tree Care Forum and the Women in Tree Care, um, the pre-com workshop uh, the day before Expo started in Indianapolis. And we'll continue to see folks from, from all walks of life wanting to get involved. Um, the question just comes down to what, what are our next steps as an industry? Uh, and I, I think right now we just need to keep people talking about it. We need to keep people hearing about it uh, because the, the issues go deeper than a lot of folks realize. But like I said, a lot of folks, you know, they're, they're ready to listen and learn. So Yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I think that it's uh, so many women out there right now feel like they're on little small islands um, that, and a lot of times feel alone with, especially at the field level with what they're dealing with and don't necessarily have the resources or the networking to, to deal with like the, the issues that they face on a day to day and don't necessarily feel comfortable even talking to people about it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of one of the bigger issues is, is that women don't feel comfortable stepping up to their leadership um, or even their, their crew members and saying like, hey, this really offended me because I think that a lot of us, and I, I can speak for my, can only speak for myself, but in the women that have spoken to me, but I know when I was younger, like I didn't want to rock the boat. I was like, I have to work twice as hard to be looked at as half as good. And I just have to be one of the guys. I have to really embrace my masculine energy. I have to like do, do all these things and, and to not speak up or, or to like, not say I have to go off site to use the restroom and, and I need to, to do all of these things to not rock the boat in order to, to be a part of this team in this culture. And I think that a lot of women are still facing that on the day to day. In my opinion, it, it's time for us as an industry to start really having difficult conversations that are very uncomfortable, um, but being able to sit down and to have some sort of centralized resource or networking um, that's available. To, to women or, or, or people that are struggling, whether it's gender identity, women as a whole, whatever it is, to have some sort of, whether it's nonprofit under one of the bigger organizations, not to call you guys out, but um, where women can say, like, have a place to go and, and, and talk and say, you know, I, uh, I felt like I was sexually harassed or I, like, maybe I feel like this could have been sexual assault or the, these are some issues that I'm having within my crew, but I'm not ready to go and talk to HR. I'm not ready to go talk to leadership because I don't know once I start moving that ball down the line, what happens? Am I going to be forced to make a statement? Am I going to be dragged through the mud? You know, what, what does it look like? What are my options? And I feel like in my experience, I, I have a very unique kind of role in the industry where I get to travel a lot, uh, throughout all of North America and deal with all these different um, like sub societies and different cultures for, within our own North America culture. And everywhere I go, no matter what, if there's a woman on the crew, no matter where I am in the world, without fail, every time they've approached me by the end of the day and say, hey, I'm dealing with this issue and I'm, I'm scared to talk about it. Who can I talk to? Have you faced it before? What can I do? And it's heartbreaking. And I, I empathize. And I've also, I also see it like I've been there. Um, and, it's, and it's just, we need to start having these conversations. There needs to be resources available. Um, and we need to look at it on, on a larger scale. And it's not that the men around these people are make are doing anything bad per se, or they don't know that they're doing anything bad. It's the fact that there's no communication happening. Even if they are allies, there's still not enough communication happening surrounding these problems. Um, and everyone's kind of just tiptoeing around each other and walking on eggshells and it's, we're not winning and we need to start having it. There needs to be something bigger, something better. We need to do better.
what current resources are out there for women who are looking to, I guess, pull themselves out of that kind of silo that they feel like they're in, whether it's an online community or an in-person community, what sort of resources do you recommend for them to, uh, to go to and use? Well, I think that there's so many um, women in the industry now that are uh, in the spotlight. And my biggest recommendation is to not feel like they're unreachable that like just because you see them all over Instagram or you've heard about them um, or you see them at comps or whatever it is they're they're reachable they want to help there there's there's people that are working on programs there's like I just got off a women's monthly call it was my first one um, I want to say it was two days ago and just women all over North America of, of every like whether it's at just starting in the industry all the way up to you know people that are really prominent in the industry and just sitting down and, and talking about some of the issues that they're facing and they're incredibly welcoming and always in, uh, wanting to encompass more and to do to do more and to help um and then that's an unsanctioned thing that's just um, women that realize that there's a need for this type of thing and have gone i mean I've put it together you know outside of the industry and, and, and doing it just to try to help. So I would say that my advice would be, these women want to help. I want to help uh, reach out on any platform, whether it's social media, email, phone, et cetera. Um, you're not alone. There's, uh, you know, we've all experienced different issues of variety, a variety of uh, different degrees, right? Um, and we're here and we want to talk about it and we want to start moving the industry forward and moving the needle in a positive way. And I think that the majority of the industry does too. So um, I wouldn't be afraid to, to talk about it. And if you're scared to talk to about your leadership, reach out to any of us on any platform and would love to chat with you. I would, I would like to add um, to that as well. Even if there's not a sense of urgency in, you know, if, if you're a woman in the industry or an individual who identifies as a woman in the industry, um, you know, e even if your experiences are not, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, if, even if you're not dealing with anything particularly awful in the industry and you're, and you just, you know, feel like you're on an Island, um, start building your community by using, you know, well, a lot of, a lot of individuals on Instagram, uh, a lot of hashtags, uh, out there for women in tree care, um, a lot of groups there, there's, uh, several Facebook groups that I believe as well. Um, and yep. you, you, I believe, have mentioned in the past um, some women in tree care climbing events. Yeah. So that I, I know that that's a big, I'm trying to get more involved um, with that particular program because um, I, I look up to many of the people that are help putting it on, et cetera. And I think that it's been successful and it and is continuing to grow. And um, I'm trying to, you know, become as involved as possible to continue and, and help as whether it's a trainer, volunteer, et cetera. Um, but I think these programs are, I can't see enough good things that they're, that they're out there and they're starting to happen. They're gaining momentum. Um, and it's wonderful to see. And I think incredibly important for the, um, for the, for not the narrative, but for what we're trying to accomplish as women in, in the industry. That's awesome. Cause I, cause I think, you know, on top of the need to start addressing the issues in the industry, um, building that community, continuing to build that community, that, that it all falls together. It, it all has to, to start happening. Absolutely. And I just think too, 
it's it's a weird job market right now and we brought this up but you know go to a place where you feel valued um as hard as that may be right now the market's on your side in your favor in the even if you don't feel like you can change what's happening um from up you can definitely always change what's happening to you and i talked about that with a few different people just about sometimes you just have to up and leave and it shouldn't be that way but sometimes it's the easiest thing and then one of the other things i want to bring up um kind of going back to it is there's a lot of uh, i guess we'll call them stigmas about um certain type of women in the industry where if you're if you're you stand up for yourself too much you're a bitch if like you Mm -hmm. said you have to type into your hyper masculinity side just to feel like you have to keep up and in you know my opinion it's obviously shouldn't be like that you should be able to be whatever kind of person you like to be in the industry not have to to deal with that but i know a lot of the big one that comes up is if you are a strong woman you're going to get torn down because you're not just taking the status quo from whoever and i'm sure there's plenty of people here at tcia and our staff themselves who also feel the same way so how do you it just seems like a lot to try to keep moving past on a day-to-day basis so how do you continue to move forward while still having you know, whether it's one whisper or two whispers in the background of stuff like that, how do you continue to move forward and not let it affect you? Well, Joe, let me tell you, I have, <laughs> I have a, um, I would dare say an, an, an unpopular opinion on that. Um, for the, the longest time, I was very concerned, um, very insecure, always wanting to, to make sure that the people that I, I was training or being or, or around that I, they liked me and then I was being received well and I wasn't being too pushy, but I wasn't being too meek, but, but I was also being confident, but not too confident because then you don't want to outshine the people in the room and that makes them feel uncomfortable and question what's, you know, make them feel insecure. And I just was living my life like this and was also feeding that, that wolf in me, if you will, that's, was saying, you know, this isn't fair. There is sexism that exists like at, at a, a rampant rate. And, uh, and I am being um, marginalized in, the, in, in that sense as being a woman in a male dominated field and it isn't fair and I don't like it and poor me and woe is me, right? And I had to really take a long, hard look at myself in the mirror and th- through a lot of therapy, albeit, <laughs> um, look at myself and say, you know, I am a rock star and I do have value and my voice is important. And I do have a, an incredible talent of connecting with people on, on, on a training level, which is what I've kind of my life's passion is, is training and connecting and influence and making sure people can get, get home safe at the end of the day. And I turned the conversation around for myself because I, I felt that I wasn't doing myself any justice by sitting here and kind of feeding the negativity to that wolf. And I was like, I'm going to flip the script. You know what? Here we go. This is, this is what I believe now. And when I walk into a room, regardless, whether it's a training event, um, I'm speaking at a conference, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. When I walk into a room, this is how I walk into a room. I don't care if they're sexualizing me. I don't care if they're objectifying me. I don't care if they're laughing at me. I don't care if they think I'm lost or that I'm an idiot or that they're going to learn nothing from me. I don't care. I don't care because you know what? I have every single person in that room's attention. 
And I could have a male counterpart standing right next to me with the same education, the same degrees, the same work experience, the same training experience. And they have to fight for every ounce of attention they get. They have to fight to earn the right. They have to fight for that. And I had it and I didn't have to do a damn thing to get it. I have every single person's attention. And within five minutes, all I need is five minutes of their time for them to understand that I know what I'm talking about, that I am confident, that I am knowledgeable, um, I am personable, I am gonna make you laugh. And I have everyone in that room eating out of the palm of my hand as a trainer, as a speaker, et cetera. And I didn't have to do anything for that attention. I didn't have to work for it. I walked into that room and I was immediately mem memorable because I'm different. And I choose to look at it through that lens now. And maybe that's a little too overconfident. Maybe I went a little bit too far in the other direction, perhaps some may say, but for me, that's how I build myself up. That's the confidence that I need to give myself when, when I walk into that room because I'm tired of feeding negativity and I'm, I wanna work in a place of positivity and it's, it's worked really well for me. And I, I, I feel that as I, as I continue to sharpen and hone my skills, um, that it works incredibly well. And, and, I, and I make it work for me rather than against me. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate that perspective. And continuing off of that, you started off in the industry at a young age. What sort of advice do you have for younger women either just getting into the industry or who are currently new in the industry? What advice do you have for them so they can maybe, it's not the same point that you're at, but get to a confidence level where they understand what their worth is? I think that that's a really great question. And I, I think that the, what helped me the most is that when I felt like a small island and alone is that I reached out. For me, connection with other people is the most valuable thing. So building that network, when you feel like an island, reach out to someone, like whether it's social media, whether it's a friend of yours, a, you know, a mentor, et cetera, reach out because you're not an island. And the only way you're gonna get anywhere in industry has to do a lot with who you are and your work ethic, but more to do with, with the people and your support system surrounding you. Without them, I, I would never be where I am today. Um, I've, I've made it to where I am today by surrounding myself with people that are far smarter than me, that are you know, more successful, et cetera, and always trying to learn and, and always leaning on people, not being afraid to be vulnerable and reach out when I'm you know, doubting myself and, and feeling really down is, is really just reaching out to people. And people are, are, have always surprised me um, pleasantly of, of what they're willing to do and the miles that they'll go to, to help. And I, I, I think another good thing worth mentioning is, is that a lot of the online groups also have a uh, very diverse gathering as well of what I look for here is the field staff and the office staff um, mm -hmm. of, of tree care, you know, kind of, kind of all falling into these, these few online uh, communities, if you will. And they're, they're all, a lot of them there are great resources on their respective ends. And some of them are great resources on both. Um, it, it's, you know, sort, sort of to your point, just get started by going out there and, and, and finding your network, you know, build, build up your community. Like I said before, so many people want to help. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, still learning how they can do that, but talking about it and, and meeting new people, that's, that's day one. Absolutely. What is a few of the big issues currently affecting women in tree care? Um, I, I think some of like the the disparity I find that is always large is um, kind of the the field level versus the corporate level or the office level and bridging that gap. Um, whether and and that's even 
you know, women in the field versus women in, in the office, there, there's still a gap and a disparity there that's difficult to bridge because they're two entirely different viewpoints, right? Um, so I think that's a large one that isn't necessarily just women related, but uh, across the board in the industry. Um, for me, one of the biggest ones that I really am trying to figure out how to gain traction and momentum and collaboration is, is PPE for women in the industry. It's no secret that the reason that there isn't um, we don't see a large presence of women-specific PPEs because the fact that major manufacturers will literally take a loss in revenue by offering women's lines. There's no way around it right now. There's not enough demand in order for them to turn a profit on, you know, R&D of, of women-specific PPE um, or clothing, et cetera, for, for this industry. Therefore, there's not a lot of incentive. So, and that's having talked to, you know, larger brands and you see brands such as like Arborware and things like that, that are really saying it, you know what? Yeah, we're going to take a profit loss by, by creating these lines and, and, and actually offering women specific clothing, et cetera. Um, but we're going to be at the forefront of this and, and be, you know, driving force in the industry, um, which is, you know, amazing to see. And I see, I think that brands are slowly starting to follow suit, but it's not necessarily happening fast enough. So that's another larger uh, ticket item that I, I, kind of like to talk about um and it, it goes all the way from large ticket items like that to uh, like verbiage and, and pronouns and, and like you know what do i asked all the time and, and this was actually part of the conversation that we had um a few days ago is it oftentimes men are like well what do we call women in the in the industry that are climbers when we're <laughs> we all kind of laughed at ourselves but we're like arborist <laughs> you know, we're, we're called arborists. <laughs> um, yeah. But in it, you know, we, we, we kind of chuckle to ourselves about it, but it is a really real kind of question. And, and, and this kind of brings it, circles it all the way back to, to people don't know what they don't know. And 99% and, and of the time, men are trying to be respectful, want to be inclusive and, and don't want to offend and, and just don't know how to really navigate um, what the what that looks like and what it sounds like or, or what to call women in the industry or do we call it foreman or do we call it four person or do we right or do we call it ground men or ground ear and what it, all these kind of different things and that just to for me circles back to the fact that we need to start having the conversations and and actually including men in, into the conversation because we're not gaining any ground by um, excluding it and we've all been there like as as women in the industry we've all in some way, shape or form faced and had interactions that were less than, less than kind, less than acceptable, less than professional. Um, I've myself, again, been in the industry 20 years of experience, everything from verbal harassment to sexual assault, right? And we need to start envelop in, in like enveloping men to the conversation. We need to stop ostracizing men from the conversation. Um, and so that we can actually start creating change. I've We've all been at events where we're just angry, right? Like, we're like, this isn't fair. No, it's not fair. This shouldn't be a thing. No, it shouldn't. And we shouldn't have to deal with this. No, we shouldn't. But it doesn't change the fact that this is currently where we're at and what a lot of women are facing. So let's include everyone in the conversation so we can start making real change. Uh, you know, that's it, it's sort of motivating and exciting to, to see, you know, some of the changes that are happening, like you mentioned with uh, Arborware, um, mm. you know, uh, and some of that is actually mentioned in, um, I'm going to bring it up, uh, you were just in one of our articles uh, in the mm. March issue of the TCI magazine. I, I think 
if, if I, I don't, I'm, I'm not obviously as familiar with it as you are, but I think if, if there's any way um, to expand on the discussion um, of convincing companies uh, to take a loss or um, dive deeper and see if, if they can, you know, fill this void um, and, and avoid taking a loss at the same time, um, you know, is there a way to continue the discussion? Um, you know, I don't know, uh, but that's, that's one of the things that I need to learn. I don't know what I don't know. And, uh, so this, this is, uh, I guess not, not really a direct question today. Um, but something I'm, you know, I'm going to follow up on. So I'm very curious. Sure. About like I, I believe wholeheartedly that I should be able to climb a full day in a harness and it not bruise my hip bones or not, not have bruises over my hip bones because the harness doesn't fit me properly. Cause I have, you know, different shaped hips than most men do. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's as an industry should be a standard, shouldn't be a question. I don't feel like most of the time it did. Do, do men have to think about that in the day to day? Where where to go pee? Whether peeing in the back of a chip truck is okay, or just being able to go to the side of the road, or having a period and having to change, you, you know, whatever feminine products that you have, or being looked at um, as taking too many breaks because you had to go use the restroom down the street, but just so happens that it's a twenty minute hike out of the woods and then a twenty minute drive to the nearest restroom, and now you're you know you're looked at down upon in a leadership role because you took too many breaks or you did this or you're not working as hard or you can't find PPE that fits correctly or gloves that fit correctly. I, I will say to that, um, this, this is digging way back uh, into my military experience uh, and the um, topic of field sanitation. For me, um, ba bathroom functions on a job site um, is a touchy subject to me because that falls under professionalism on a job site. Um, so I, I will say maybe a Band-Aid solution uh, off the top of my head. Um, and this, this is going back and I'm sure the technology for them is, is a little bit better now. Uh, but uh, pop-up camping showers. I'm, I'm not saying you need to provide a shower option, you know, but it's literally the appropriate size for somebody to go in there unseen Mm -hmm. but uh yeah that's uh de definitely an issue uh that, that i hope uh continues being discussed absolutely i, I think and, and like these are just you know the the few things that come to the forefront of my mind right and they they run a lot deeper than that and um, a lot of times when i talk to just other people in the industry or, or like my guy friends and we were sitting down and we we're talking about it, they're like oh my goodness like i've never thought about that like I, I, and they really take a step back. They're like, I never even put thought into that. Like, how, what do you do in that situation? How do you deal with that? Like, why, why is it that way? And it's, again, just a, always really interesting because you don't know what you don't know. And if it's not something that you've had to think about or deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, then you wouldn't know. And that's of no fault of anyone's, right? Um, it's just the, where we're at. So um, I'm ready to blow the doors off everything and, and have the really uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> I'll be the scapegoat. I'll do it. Um, um, if you guys have ever taken the the true colors personally personality assessment test, I am bright orange. So like, <laughs> makes sense that I'm a trainer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, if con if conversation has to happen, then it has to happen. You know, and, mm. and thankfully the industry has individuals like yourself to uh, to to carry that on. I'm in. I'm all in. Let's do it. <laughs>
Thank you for your perspective on everything. Just to be cognizant of your time, um, we're a little bit over what we did. So just kind of wrapping things up, is there anything that you want to bring up that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Um, I, for me, I just feel incredibly fortunate to have been a part of an industry that has been so welcoming and, and caring. The vast majority of the people that I met have just been wonderful, wonderful human beings. And I, um, I'm just incredibly thankful uh, for you guys reaching out and, and having me on and having me on and then listening to what I have to say um, and look forward to continuing the relationship and, and honestly look forward to continue to drive this um, initiative and passion. I, I call it for me, it's a passion project of mine since I was a young girl uh, forward and, and helping in whatever way that we can. Thank you.